Well, hello, everyone. So I wanted to thank you for being here. Yeah, next weekend, one service. And if you're the 945, you don't have to change much. You might actually be early to church. Uh, so try it out. It's, uh, it's nice to, to be here. And as we are going to be gathering outside, pray for good weather. Uh, we absolutely have no backup plan. And uh, so that's, that's where we are. Um, we'll figure that out this week. So we are in the middle. Um, actually, before I get into that, I wanted to thank you. Your, because of the, your generosity over the summer uh, as a part of the, the, the Future Now giving campaign, um, we were able to do this carnival for the kids. This was the first in kind of the benchmarks for fundraising. And the, the reason that we're doing this is we are growing faster in our ministry, especially our kids' ministry, than we have financing for. And so we had to do this kind of push. And this, uh, this carnival was, hey, if we raise $20,000, the kids get a carnival. So that's what this first one is. So thank you for that. Uh, also, we're, we've raised $40,000, so the kids are going to get new furniture. So that's good. And uh, yeah, so give yourself a round of applause. And as the, uh, the year progresses, the campaign will, will shift a little bit, and um, there's, you know, we'll see people in the fall that we'll introduce this to. So again, just, just thank you. This series that we're in, uh, Summer on the Mount, is building off of themes. And so the way that I've been teaching this has been through what I'll call kind of proximity uh, scripture. And that is not allowing the verse numbers to trip us up. Because when Jesus was delivering this sermon, he wasn't saying verse 7, verse 8, <laughs> verse 9. So his, what he was teaching was all connected. And we lose quite a bit of context when we just float into a scripture, get it, and then float out. And so the past couple weeks have been heavy. Uh, this section of scripture, the end of Matthew 6, the beginning of Matthew 7, we've gone from do not worry to do not judge. And then today we're going to be looking at what's often called the golden rule. So whereas last weekend was, you know, do not judge, that's a scripture that a lot of non-Christians use to heave upon Christians. This one is a scripture I think culture kind of knows and has adopted because it's, a, oh, that's, that's the Jesus we like. That's the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the nice, perfect hair Jesus. That's the, the soft and approachable. That's a nice saying. And I don't, well, I like that it's nice, but I also don't like the, the radical nature of what he's actually saying is something that we could miss. So, let's just kind of dive in. We're going to be in a lot of different places today. But let's look at Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We all go, I like that. 
do unto others that they would have that you would have them do to you sounds great we take care of our kids dad takes care of us but this next line and that's where everybody stops for this sums up the law and the prophets if a member of the trinity is saying something sums up the entirety of the law and the prophets, your ears should perk up and go, that's a pretty big line. Because what is the law and the prophets? I'll give you a visual representation. Ready? This part. Okay? This part of your Bible is what Jesus is saying is summed up by that statement. So we should all go, whoa, 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 slow, slow down, slow down, slow down. This isn't just a nice kind of fluffy statement. This is a, a thing that is, we would like to do this. But how often do we actually do this? Now Jesus here uh, is using uh, part of Leviticus. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. How are we doing there? How are you, um, how are you doing on not bearing a grudge? Let, let's just say right now, is there someone, some family member, somebody that you are just holding on to this grudge, you're, you're holding on to this, this poison and expecting it to hurt them? That's what a grudge is. And so how, and when Jesus, or in this law, in the book of Leviticus, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. How do you love yourself? Which is going to keep peeling this onion. Hopefully, you don't wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you go, I love you. You are great. And maybe you're doing like some affirmation thing and that's you're trying to convince yourself. Okay, but you don't sit there in the mirror and go, you are a gift to the world. You are so wonderful. Your family is so lucky to have you. You're, I don't know what your wife would do without you. Okay, because there's some pride creeping into this. But how do you love yourself? You take care of yourself. You feed yourself. You watch your stress levels. You, make, you check in. You make sure you're doing okay. If you need help, you seek it out. You find community. That's how you love yourself. And you're supposed to love your neighbor in that same manner. Let's keep peeling that onion. Who's your, keep it back up. Um, uh, who is your neighbor? <laughs> Most of us, you know, you have your house or your apartment. You might know people next to you. If you have an apartment, you might really know the people above you. Okay, But in reality, most of us don't go past two, three houses up or down unless you've been there a really long time and somebody moves into the neighborhood and it's less I want to get to know you. It's more of, are, we, are you going to be a problem? Right? And so do you, that's your real estate neighbor. But who is your neighbor at work? Who is your neighbor at school? Who is your neighbor, you know, in those different environments? Or neighbor is, you know, people that you, you know, but it's also neighbor could be expanded to everyone. 
Because when we read this and we say, oh, I want to love my neighbors, I love myself, and we would think, boy, the world would look so different, be so much better, so much happier if everybody else just did that. This is a tough one to, to even consider. I mean, again, we, did, we went, do not worry, do not judge. And Jesus is saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For all the law and the prophets, hang on that. That's heavy. That is a very heavy thing. In Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus is confronted again with this. And I'm going to give you the context here. But in verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Let's stop here for a second. I don't want us to blitz past this and go, okay, the weird names of things I don't really understand or know. In first century Judaism, there are four sections of Jewish people. Four denominations, for lack of a better term. There are the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Let's deal with the two smaller ones first. The Essenes were the hermits. They lived out in the wilderness. They were wild. A lot of people think John the Baptist might have been an Essene. Uh, they were very much into uh, documentation and scrolls. And a lot of people think that they are responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls that we found a little while ago. The Zealots uh, were much more, well, zealous uh, for getting the message out there. In fact, they were more militant. They would carry weapons. These are, a, these are some bad dudes uh, for... For God. Now, there are the smaller subsections. The Sadducees were the more scholarly. They pretty rarely left the temple area. They were more about getting the right doctrine, making sure everything's translated properly. They were kind of the hardcore um, knowing the text. Jesus just silenced them. Jesus just owned uh, an argument. So the Pharisees show up and they say, hey, we, whoa, 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 we can't be having this. He's going to get a crowd because they were much, very much the, the denomination that was responsible for the people. They were supposed to be of the people. So they get together and one of them was an expert in the law. They tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is a, this is a gotcha question. Is there a right answer? Teacher, which kid do you love the most? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. Uh, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. That's called the Shema. That's the John 3.16 of Judaism. Um, go back to that line for me in verse 37. If you ever walk into a Jewish family's home, or e even to this day, most likely they have a, a scroll on a 45-degree angle. It's called a mezuzah that is hanging on their doorpost. It has this scripture in it. It's how big a deal this scripture is to Judaism. There's car mezuzahs. <laughs> they are everywhere. And Jesus says, that one. And he says, and I know what you're doing. So I'm going to add on to this. The first and the greatest commandment. And the second one, you didn't even ask about the second one, but I'm going to give you the second one. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's a big statement again. Jesus is saying everything hangs off of this. 
So that should perk our ears up again. He's giving us, you know, this way to live. And if you do this, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. What is he saying? Um, You know those 600 plus laws and commandments that you've had to follow this whole time? If you just do these two things, you're good. (laughs) That's how revolutionary the statement is. That's how radical. He's taking a couple thousand years of history and saying, just do these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do that, you fulfill all the others. Does that kind of change your perspective of, oh, that's a really nice statement, Jesus. That's a, that makes me feel good. Because in reality, if we did do those things, all the law and all the prophets would hang on it. This changes their entire perspective of every year, because they would fail in keeping the law, they would have to go into Jerusalem for a sacrifice. And every year, you'd have a day of atonement where you'd have to sacrifice a lamb in order to pay for the sins of the community. That's why Jesus, the Lamb of God, pays for the sins of the world. All the law and the prophets hang off of that. Let's keep going. Let's go back to Matthew 7. Everybody stops at verse 12. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And we go, whew, okay, I can't do that. I wish somebody else would, because this is really hard. How often do you do to others what your ideal situation would you have them do to you? That's hard. That goes against kind of our humanity. How often do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? When they're lovable, right? When, what happens when they are unlovable? Do you still love them as you would love yourself? In what situations are you not the most love your neighbor as you love yourself type of person? Or maybe there's a person, not a situation, and you are not loving them because they have failed you, they have wronged you, they have hurt you, they have caused you trauma, they are a difficult person to deal with, they are frustrating, and I am going to hold on to this unforgiveness because that'll get them. Well, in reality, Jesus is saying, do you want forgiveness and grace and mercy? Then you're going to have to live in that manner as well. I am not, this is going to be a stunner to a lot of people that know me, um, the most empathetic guy. Okay? And I think that's the only reason um, I've been able to survive 20 some odd years in ministry, especially in lead ministry, um, because things will happen, it kind of rolls off my back, I move on quickly. Where I am the least empathetic, and this happened last year, and my wife did it to me, and I think it was a test of marriage. We needed something for Christmas. And it was the Saturday before Christmas, and she sent me to Target. 
I am the least empathetic human on the planet on a Saturday afternoon at a Target parking lot before Christmas. I'm judging everybody. Okay? And not like just, haha, I'm like mad, I get frustrated, I get overwhelmed, I don't do well in that situation. I was set up for failure, and I was not loving others as I would want them to love me back. So that's just a kind of superficial failure, but I bet you, you have in your life moments where you do not love your neighbors, you love yourself. Because it's difficult. It's really hard. And Jesus is saying, all the law and the prophets hang on that. And I go, oh. But in reality, that's why he had to come. Because our humanity will not allow us. There's that sin nature inside all of us. And everybody stops at verse 12. Put up verse 12 for me. And they don't go to 13. Again, this is the same sentence. The next line. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through that. That's humanity. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find that. Later in John uh, chapter 10, Jesus will compare himself to this gate. And you have to enter through that gate in order to get to the kingdom of God. And it's really hard to do because it is a narrow road. It is a road less traveled because it goes against absolutely all of our humanity to, opt to, to live, love others as you would love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because we know society isn't doing that. The results aren't there. So we have a decision to make, and the church has a decision to make here. Because, go back to verse 13. This gate's a problem. This gate is a difficult problem. Because if we enter through this narrow gate, then I have to live, you know, this, this difficult, tough life of discipleship and following Jesus. So I would rather make the gate wider. And that's what we've been doing is by changing the gate or making Jesus really didn't say that did he so we make the gate just a little bit wider a little bit easier to get into a little bit more you know simpler we make this gate oh Jesus didn't really mean that so we change the gate, even though the gate, the word of God and Jesus Christ is never changing, but man, are we going to work on that? Because that is easier to change than this road. Because this road is a life of decisions. It is a life of sacrifice, of following Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a lot of people that will come along the way to say, just change the gate. It's easier that way. Again, everybody stops at verse 12. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, Jesus, and narrow is the road, life, the discipleship, sanctification, that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, they will look great. They'll be nice and soft and gentle. 
but inwardly they are wolves. They will devour you. And here's how, and Jesus warns us, and here's how you will know. By their fruit, you will recognize them. You will recognize them by what they produce. You won't recognize them just visually. Look at what they produce. And are they producing a narrow road or a broad road? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. It's a radical statement of Christ. He's saying, you're going to have to not be human. You're going to have to sacrifice and live the life that I have given you, and I will sacrifice my life for you. And this is a difficult road, and you're going to have to fight the sin nature and humanity inside you to follow this because you're just going to want to change the gate because the gate's easier to change than living this sanctified life. And when I say sanctify, I should define that. That's the process of becoming more holy or the process of becoming more saintly. Becoming more like Jesus. The world will not help you with this. They will not help you in this. And all those decisions that you have to make for God or for the world, the world will say, just change the gate. Just make it bigger. Make it wider. It's a preview. I'm not going to put it out yet. My entire fall sermon series is based off of um, something I was watching. I watched a sermon one time that was actively changing the gate as the sermon progressed. And it made me so mad that I wrote an entire series uh, on on, um, this one 20-minute message that I watched. Because if we don't hold on to the gate, the world will just change it. And then all of a sudden, we have no idea what we believe, what we follow, who we are, or even how to love others as you would love yourself. Because how does the world love itself? Not like Jesus wants us to. So again, heavy statement here. And Jesus turns a couple thousand years of church, of synagogue and Jewish history on its head, and he moves on to the next statement. He's just throwing down in Matthew 7. So hopefully I changed a little bit and we can reflect a little bit on, and here's what I want you to do this afternoon is maybe there's someone, the team can come up, maybe there's someone um, in your life that you've been holding on, you haven't been loving them as you would love yourself, just start by admitting that and then begin with forgiving them. Just one person or one situation, let's start there. This morning, uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. And um, what I'm going to ask you to do is you, you can come up and take the elements and then take them back to, to your seats. Um, we celebrate what's called open communion here. It means you don't have to be a, a, a member. You just have to be a believer. And um, it's a gather around this table. And this table represents the night before Jesus was to be crucified. He showed them what he was to do, and he made promises to them, and we celebrate that and gather around that table this morning. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we've all fallen short. Uh, maybe we can 
market with a parking lot or moments in our family we're not exactly proud of. Maybe last night. This morning we seek your forgiveness. We ask for your presence to be within us and around us. May we change today. May we be made new by your sacrifice. And as we gather around this table, as you sat there with Judas, knowing what he was to do, you still offered him this meal. And so, Lord, while we may still be a long way off, we thank you for your amazing grace that picks us back up when we fall. We pray all this in your name. Amen.